Welcome back to Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks, the cybersecurity podcast that tackles the vendor-customer relationship. I am George K. on the vendor side. And I'm George A., a Chief Information Security Officer. And today, we are so very pleased to have as our guest, Eliza May Austin, founder and CEO of That Security Company and Pocket Sim. Eliza, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> So let us start in the most obvious of places, which is the quick and dirty history of how you got into cyber. Okay. Um, I, a long time ago, used to be a waitress, not a very good one. Um, and I went to university in London and did forensic science because I wanted to learn how to kill people and get away with it. <laughs> joking. <laughs> well, kind of joking. Um, so I did a year of that. I wasn't very good. It was all maths and all um, physics and metology, which was very boring. So I still wanted to stay on the forensic side. So I thought, what can I do? So I went, I thought, I like computers. I'm interested in forensics. What can I do? So I went and Googled um, forensic degrees and went and did digital forensics at university. Mm. Um, bizarrely fell in love with it and um, did some internships. I wasn't particularly academic. So I thought I really need to make up for that lack of academia with some hands-on skills. So I went and I either volunteered or did some small paid internships in like summer holidays, Christmas, Easter, that kind of thing. Um, so I got quite a bit of experience in my first year, and then I got headhunted out of university and finished my degree while I was working. So since then, mm. I've not really looked back. Um, it was great because I worked on the customer side. So I've got perspective of both of, you, both of what you guys have done as well. So receiving services, and then I went to work on the services side, um, delivering services. So I got a really good um, you know, sack of frustrations on both of those sides <laughs> and then brought those into um, the business that I then um, co-developed with my business partner, Stephen. Nice. Um, well, we're very happy to have you here. Uh, I'm sure unless you're living under a rock, uh, anyone in cyber has probably seen the post that you put on LinkedIn that kind of blew up and accidentally DDoSed your, all your inboxes. Um, so we are very pleased to talk about this. You are on, for all purposes, the vendorish side. So that means in this podcast, the CISO gets first crack. So over to okay. you, George A. Thank you. So yeah, you know, um, again, like echoing George's sentiments, um, thank you for helping on the show and uh, really engaging with our platform. Um, you know, long before uh, your amazing uh, viral post slash job poster, because it was originally kind of a job poster Yeah. Uh, for your first uh, sales pro at your company. I, I, I had followed you on Twitter, you know, of all things, um, because I found you to be smart and sassy and outspoken and still technical and a startup CEO. And lastly, you are all these things. And you're a woman in a space that's otherwise full of um, tech bros and Elon wannabes. Like, let's let's call it for what it is. Yeah. How did you pull off five years and almost 20 staffers while staying true to your own integrity as a person? Because it's clear that you are you are the person that you were before you started doing this. You've still kept that. How'd you do it? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm drinking wine right now to try and help me know, um, but I don't. So <laughs> it's, it's one of those things, you know, how long is a piece of string and why is the sky blue? I don't know. There's surely some science behind it. Um, I don't have a formula for that. However, what I will say is my personality is my personality. It's very not 
uh, you know, it's very much not orchestrated around um, appearing a certain way. I've been um, ballsy and very confident since I can remember. And, I, you know, I, I was that kid at school that, you know, all my friends would smoke. I would get threatened with being beat up by bigger, older girls for not smoking and I still wouldn't smoke. So I'm very, you know, defiant. I'll do what I want to do. But yeah, I think I've just got a core of inner confidence and that's it. And unfortunately, you can't, you know, not everyone has that. Um, and it's not a formula that I can say, this is what I did and this is how I did it by any means. So I... <laughs> I don't have an interesting answer to that very interesting question, I'm afraid. I, I do think that was an interesting answer, though, because realistically, it's just you, you haven't sold out, right? That's the important thing. Thank you didn't you. sell out when you were younger. You didn't sell out now. I feel like it's a safe bet that even if you got to 200 employees and 100 million pounds of revenue a year, you'd still be the same no-nonsense taker with a heart and that authenticity. That's one of the most impressive things about you. Can you talk about your leadership journey specifically in building both your company and its team? Like, why did you start this and how did you get here? Okay. Okay. There's a lot of layers to that. So in terms of leadership, the things that are important to me are what were important to me when I was in positions where I didn't have any authority. So I try and think of those things. So, you know, if I was, um, you know, working at McDonald's, which I did at 16, or working as a waitress, and I was the one that did something good, um, and I didn't get any recognition for it, or someone else got the recognition for it. That's you know, it was important to me that um, that that my work was recognised, or if I changed the process and it worked for the better for the whole restaurant, that that was recognised. I wasn't even a waitress for very long, so I don't mind <laughs> using that as a sort of an example. Um, so it's important to me now, as a business leader, to make sure that that's part of our culture so we don't promote anybody that that um sort of takes credit for someone else's work or um tries to sell themselves internally based on their own merit only mm. but as a team so um for example if you're if you've got people under you that you're jealous of you um you're not going to promote them which we're absolutely against so i really like the leadership trait in other people where they will say well hang on a minute it wasn't all me um jeff had a big part to play in this because of xyz xyz i know as the boss that the person saying that had a huge part to play in it but i really respect the fact that they've they've added some recognition to people even if they're you know junior analysts or you know engineers that are degree that you know straight straight out of university or, or whatever i find that really really appealing and it's something i always respected so i've tried to bring that culture in um another aspect of um leadership and my leadership style is um very much around allowing people to make mm. mistakes so this is something i've had to learn my business partners sort of you know drilled this into me that um i'm always going to be the person that does everything if i don't give other people the opportunity to either make mistakes and grow from them or succeed and feel um, like an absolute you know spartan for succeeding so um you know whether someone fails or succeeds in in a task that i've set them and i take a step back there's only wins from that obviously you know not if it does it affects customers but in terms of my leadership style that's really educated me on how to step away from being the founder that has to have their hand in all the pies and micromanage everything and everyone um what was the other aspect of it, your it, question it's, it's not just about kind of 
um, you know, your journey as, as a founder and why, but it's also like the team, how you built the team, how you select the team, how you built the culture, how you got it to here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So the team, I think the first person that I wanted to work with was Steven, so my business partner. Um, we He was the director of security at a company I previously worked at, and we found ourselves in the pub quite often having a drink and moaning about the industry, the way services were delivered, the way services were sold, the way that, you know, um, various different CISOs and heads of IT weren't able to receive them because they weren't educated on various different things or, you know, the board didn't understand what they what they understood. And we were like, what the fuck are we doing? This is a business. So we then put those frustrations into building a business. Um, the first p- person we hired um, was a lady called Kimberly, who really had been really trying hard to understand and learn things she was a graduate and she was really trying hard to understand and learn things about blue team so we brought her on we saw that as an opportunity to sort of teach someone everyone everything we knew in a way that we wanted it to be delivered um after that we then hired analysts and we brought on um you know someone in advertising and we've just sort of grown steadily through sales so when we've sold we've we've sold things we've been able to grow um and in terms of culture you know we're all remote so there's there's challenges there but it's kind of cool we have team days we're going to shoot in soon we're gonna go and shoot some clay pigeons which is you know not a very probably safe thing to do when you've all been drinking the previous <laughs> hey, night better better um, shooting than axe throwing but go on <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> yeah I so. uh, but yeah I, I don't know um i suppose what's in what's been important to what i was trying to say before is what's been important to me and steven when we were in more um you know in the in the lower echelons of businesses what we felt we're trying to bring the positives of that into the business and sort of keep it there and by and large it's working we don't have a high turnover of staff um everyone does genuinely seem to get on and and seem happy and we will make sure we're sort of in touch as much as possible when it comes to you know slack and, nice. and things like that um so, so turning to, you know, this viral post of yours, a lot of the flack that you received in the comments uh, was a lot <laughs> seemed to center on the perceived impossibility of generating quote unquote sales or opportunities for your company without pushing quotas or hard deadlines. But when you and I were talking before we started recording, it sounds like what you're seeking is someone to build relationship capital, which has a longer time horizon. So I have two questions to you as CEO. First, what is it about the typical sales methodology that you find so cringy or objectionable? It feels very manipulative. And I think a lot of people aren't good at it, which makes it even more obvious mm-hmm. that it's manipulative. Um, it feels abrasive and I feel like someone's trying to con me. So if I go mm-hmm. to buy a sofa, I'll buy it online now. Mm-hmm. But if I've ever been, you know, to buy like something that's rather, relatively expensive, a car, a sofa, whatever, you know, that they're doing the job. That's awesome. You want them to get paid. You want them to have a nice life, whatever. Um, but I, I want you to leave me the fuck alone unless I ask for your help. I don't want you to follow me around. I don't want you to tell me about the deals. I don't want you to say, you know, here's a sofa, but hey, if you pay this much, you know, or, or you buy this lamp, we'll also throw in a 
a small chair as well. I just think, just fuck off and let me decide what I want to do. I am the specialist in this. I've had sofas (laughs) all my life. I know what I'm doing. I know I have to sit down. Please shut up and let me choose. And I think that in tech, we've stepped away from that obviousness and created this sort of sales culture where um, we're being sold to as if we don't know. We don't know how to sit on a sofa. We're being sold to as if, you know, we don't know our ass from our elbow. Um, and it's incredibly frustrating. It's incredibly insulting. And it's a lot of it's stupid. The amount of times I get people from from vendors that are competitors trying to sell to me because they've looked mm-hmm. at my mm-hmm. title on LinkedIn and gone CEO. Mm-hmm. So they've sent me a message and I think, I'm a fucking competitor. <laughs> Why are you sending me this? Um, you've not even read it properly. It's so dismissive yeah. as well. Um and I just find it very abrasive. And I did notice in the post the, you know, the like aggressive ah, messages that I got um, and the um, comments, they were mainly mm-hmm. from salespeople, which is great because you've just proved that you're an arsehole. And if I, if, if someone said to me, you're a dumb blonde, I would think actually, no, I'm a brunette. So I, I'm not, I don't identify with that insult at all. Therefore I am not insulted. So if I say, salespeople by and large are knobs <laughs> and you think i'm insulted by that that means you identify as a knob now actually no. i didn't say that yes. i said don't be a knob so it was read out of context absolutely fine whatever you, you know you know it's funny that reminds me of the old typical uh not all men retort yes you know what i mean yeah also you're my spirit animal thank you <laughs> you are saying the things as a CEO that me as a CISO representing someone else's money cannot overtly say, but is please it's feel it's the feels the vibe is yes. real. Yeah. Oh God. I'm glad. I, I, I'm glad someone agrees. I think everyone does unless they're in sales. Um, <laughs> there was, you know, there was some recruiters on there that didn't like it. Again, that's kind of the sell, selling of people. And that's, you know, these jobs, I love them. They're fine. They do make the world go round. Your better but, way, better way. Look, if you looked at that and mm-hmm. got insulted, then why are you insulted by that? Because mm-hmm. you see yourself in it. So if if I'm saying, the, you know, the sentence I'm saying, I want you to take our clients out to dinner or to lunch to nurture the relationship, not to exploit it, and you are insulted by that, ask yourself why you are insulted yeah, by that. That's a good point. It wasn't meant as an insult. It was meant as part of a job description that's someone that would want that job would look at it and go, that's pretty cool. I would like to have a low pressure job where I just get to go out and have dinner with cool people at our customers' companies, get to spend time with them, hear about their kids, hear about what kind of car they like, and and then go home and know that I've nurtured yeah. that relationship in some way and my boss has fucking paid yeah. me to do it. That's amazing. If you look at that and you're insulted, yeah. that's bizarre. So my, my second follow-up question uh, to that point is, so returning to the longer time horizon, could you describe what makes you a CEO comfortable with that longer time horizon that merits this consultative approach? I think George and I have talked with uh, numerous sellers who feel, you know, back against the wall, under the gun, you know, really hard quotas to hit every quarter, every year. And that's, you know, definitely a driver of some of the aggressive behavior. But so if you're setting the bar as it's okay to be consultative, to be curious, to be nurturing, just keen to understand um, what is it about that longer time horizon that makes you more, that you seem to be more comfortable with that than, than most. Yeah. I mean, that's what we've done. That's what we've been able to do because everyone in the company Mm. has been technical. 
apart from advertising and you know PAs and things like that. Um, so everyone that the customer or lead comes into contact with mm. knows what they're talking about, at least to a reasonable extent. So we've been able to be consultative in our approach. So we've that's great. And now we're at a point where we're looking for someone to join the team that concentrates on expanding the business through sales in a consultative way. Obviously, that's that's quite difficult. Um, the reason I prefer that approach to hard sales is because the the caliber of interest we get mm-hmm. is attracted to that. Therefore, they're more likely to sign anyway. So we've got competitors that, you know, they'll have this funnel and this pipeline and all these other sales buzzwords that they might have like, we've got a thousand people in our pipeline. And you're like, fantastic, good luck. We might have five, but we'll get four of them. And we might get three of those four from our competitors because they've just been abused. Well, and also the longer looking longer, those maybe the four out of those five also bring you three more. A piece, right? I mean, just you, you said you've gotten word of mouth. Yeah, everything has been inbound and everything has been, um, it's either been inbound or inbound mm-hmm. via referrals from pre- previously existing customers, which yeah. is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. So I don't care about going out and getting a thousand different companies in our pipeline if my pipeline stops at the same amount. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've made this point to a lot of the folks who come on to our show, uh, you know, like uh, Nafis is a good example of this. He kind of aligns with the same sort of mentality, um, you know, when dealing with Mike on the on the on the practitioner side, Mike Rogers, he was kind of the same thinking uh, when we had Kayla on, she kind of goes to the same authenticity approach. You seem to embody the idea that you are not you are not about initial sales or leads you are about playing for renewals. You are about playing for a long-term repeatable relationship that comes with them Mm. acting as references for you without you having to even ask, where they're so happy working with you that your your company is the it for them. If someone needs services in the TI space or whatever you're offering the catalog, they're going to be like, oh yeah, you got to talk to Eliza May. She's got it together. I think realistically that's going to be the future of sales i think the spray and pray approach if george and i achieve any bit of our mission along with a lot of our <laughs> other friends that we're working on on this we are going to kill this whole spray and pray stat heavy approach and go back to humanizing sales because i feel like that is what you're trying to do humans selling to humans yeah i think that's accurate that's it's definitely accurate it no one wants to work like that i wouldn't want to treat someone i wouldn't want to hire someone in a sales role and and treat them like that every week you know what are your metrics this week and you know how many interviews have you got and how many this have you I, I, I don't give a fuck how many sales have you got that's what I care about how many sales have you got how long is it taking you to get them six months okay it's worth a few hundred thousand pounds fantastic that's fine that's fine all right on yeah so I, I guess you know continuing on with that post like with regards to the post and the, and the actual point, you know, looking for someone to build your sales movement, um, you know, the points that you describe uh, to, to kind of mention the traits that you're looking for, like being a self-starter, being motivated, creative, yet disciplined. The word I noticed you're missing is entrepreneur. I feel like you're looking for someone who, above all else, embodies the entrepreneurial spirit. Can you elaborate on that idea a bit for us? I think you're right, actually. And um, that's a really good point to pick out of uh, out of that. So for me, I would say having an entrepreneurial spirit is to be able to look at a situation 
and pick out how you can make those processes better and optimize those processes. So, you know, if you work in a gym, okay, how can you how can you streamline that to keep up with the gyms that are there that you scan in and there's no human interaction? I don't know why I keep coming up with these like <laughs> alternate universe kind of situations. But, you know, it doesn't matter where you work. I think if you take ownership of something and you can look at a process, see where it's flawed and um, refine it, that shows entre- entrepreneurial spirit. I think then being an entrepreneur is that on a massive scale. So I'm looking at our industry of cybersecurity and going, where's the flaws? And rather than trying to shoehorn a product or service into the industry and be louder, how can I solve the problems and streamline the processes that are currently problematic? Um, and that's, that's I think, what comes across with us. And that's why we do win deals. Now, when it comes to bringing someone into the team at a senior level and a strategic level and having them have an entrepreneurial mindset, even though I didn't say that and you did, it's an excellent point. Um, yes, I want them to advocate for the business as if it was theirs, as if they were the CEO. Mm. And I understand that's a big ask. However, if you give someone you know, access to um, shares or a long-term incentive scheme, you pay per- someone a decent amount, um, they get commission, they have a nice life, they're able to do the job as the job is required rather than work nine to five. I think that you can create that kind of ethos in the right person. You can bring someone in and then be absolutely crap and a waste of time. And we have, you know, we've failed in that in that regard as well, but we've definitely learned from it. So I do think that an entrepreneurial spirit is important. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think you're right in that. And, and I suppose I agree. Also talked about how you have kissed a few frogs in, in your, uh, in your post. So, um, and we've talked a little bit about the culture and how, uh, you have built that from the ground up. So could you talk to us a little bit about the, the, the actual culture clash? Could you describe the culture clash that you have experienced, uh, when you have kissed those frogs? Like, where does that occur? Is it in the prospecting? Is it in the bringing them to a first meeting and they rub the technical people on your team the wrong way like where is that friction it's been in a few different places depending on the person that we've Mm -hmm. had in that role so um we've brought someone in before that's had sales experience in other tech companies um you know they've come in straight away and been like i'm not going to do anything like Mm -hmm. literally not done anything They've, you know, said all these big words. They've talked about the fact that they've worked at competitors of ours or they've got all this experience and they've come in and not done anything. And then you're like, why aren't you doing anything? And not having those metrics and not having that you need to have mm-hmm. this many sales and you need to have sold this amount of purple team and this amount of pen testing and this amount of team in, in these amount of hours and days and whatever. If you don't have that with some people, they just go, oh, I guess, guess I've got an easy life. I don't have to do anything. Um, but that is aggressively abrasive to the other people in the team that are Mm. the engineers or in advertising and they are working really hard to keep you know keep the company's image up there and to do a good job and then you've got someone that because they don't have to produce those metrics they're sort of sat there going oh this is fine um so we've had that problem so that's something i'm very conscious of um 
we've had um, problems where someone's come in from, uh, you know, a, a bigger tech company because they've wanted to work in a startup and then been like, oh, there's no office so I can get away with not doing anything or um, there's no beanbags. I want healthcare and dental and this and that. And you just think we're in the UK. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Um, it's it's a different kettle of fish. Um, so, yeah. So there's a there's been an entitlement mm. issue as well. Um, I think one of the funniest stories is... Um, I mean, it doesn't sound funny. It sounds quite dark, but it's a very funny story. There was um, there was one guy that joined the team in in sales. You know, he was okay. He was he's perfectly nice. Um, I think his dad died when he was about four or something like that. So he was, you know, and he mentioned that once. Um, and I, that's fine. And I have a lot of empathy for that. But you don't really know your parents when you're four years old. You don't know. You know, you think Santa Claus is real. Anyway, so my dad died, and he took a week off because he was triggered so i had to work jesus to you know sort you know sort his flat out pack up all of his things um what and work because i couldn't take the week off because he took the week off because he felt emotionally triggered so like this is the kind of stuff that is like we have kissed we've not kissed some frogs we've kissed some serpents um we had a hilarious case of um you know, someone coming in with the title of sales manager and thinking they oh. manage everything mm. in the company. Um, you know, that's one way to make a founder <laughs> hate you. Um, so there's just it's just been a weird thing. It's been weird. We've had we've had some knockbacks on our reputation as well. I'm not gonna lie to you though. That first dude, like, look, I'm in how I run my team. I'm very like. I don't micromanage. I'm all about people like they know what they need to do. As long as you get it done on time or you've identified why you can't go for Mm -hmm. it. I don't care. Micromanaging is exhausting and I have too much real shit to think about. But this attitude, maybe it's like having foreign parents who are like quite disciplined at home. Maybe it's all my years in the army. I have no patience for that shit. Like, like I'm hearing you say that and I want to pick up my monitor and throw it at them from Ottawa. Don't like, fuck that about is guys. Fucking insane. <laughs> yeah, get out. Get out. And I think what I was just about to say is generally throughout all of them, there's been this sort of shift backwards in our reputation as well on, on a small scale um, each time, which is why I was so hesitant mm-hmm. and so keen on getting it right this time because the, the, they've done outreach. You know, we've said we don't do outreach. We don't spam people with emails because mm. we'll get our domain blocked. We don't spam people on LinkedIn DMs because eventually people that we want access to will stop going on LinkedIn. So we just want to leave people alone, put ourselves out there, say the right stuff, share knowledge, make blog posts, speak at conferences, and then people will eventually come to us, hopefully. Um, but they've gone, I know what I'm talking about because I've got experience in sales. So they've just done all this fucking outreach. And then I've had people on the phone that's, you know, a CISO, I've met a B-sides, you know, two years ago that I'm pretty friendly with saying, why the fuck is some guy called blah, body, blah, calling me? Why the fuck oh, is this God. person messaging me? I'm, I'm about to block your company. And I'm like, dude, please. So you have to then, you know, I know best because I've got experience in sales. And you just think, that's not the right that we don't want that then so we've tried people with no experience in sales um that's not worked out and you know just because it's not worked out not because we've got any horror stories there but yeah it's just it's an interesting ride and 
when it's such an undefinable role, that that LinkedIn post is literally the job spec. It's just kind of like, come and join us and have some fun and enjoy learning about cybersecurity. We've talked about it. We've talked about it with others on the show and amongst ourselves. And you highlighted in your post that curiosity is like the number one trait. If If you are just genuinely not a curious person, it means two things. One, you're not really going to advance in cyber because things change all the time. But two, you're also not curious about other people, mm-hmm. right? So that's where that ego shield comes up that you assume you already know everything, that you don't have anything to learn from the client who has a problem. It's yeah. just, uh, it's really annoying. And I, I've had a horror sh- sh- stories also of very experienced salespeople who are very experienced, but in startup land, they'll come in and they'll be like, cool. What BDR is setting all my meetings? Where are all these assets? Where are these case studies? And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you gotta create them. <laughs> it's like you might have to build them, and then they they sort of fuck off after three months because they're they want they want like a process that we just don't have in startling. Yeah, don't yeah. join a startup, you dickhead. Yeah, but I mean, look, it's the same thing with like practitioners. Like I've. I've been involved with tons of startups um, since I started doing this post army. And I think it's a particular skill set and a particular, particular type of personality that can go into a place and be like, well, my title says this, but I'm going to do like six varying jobs on any given day. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, there's like four of us to be the entire company. Like, I, I think there has to be realistic expectations and whether it's like large scale industry or whether it's startup land, like I had a guy that worked for me, um, you know, up until uh, like, we'll say, I, I think early this year, early last year. And they would constantly be sending me like job posts and these like um, these like media reports that would talk about these insane salaries, like 300,000 plus dollars USD for like uh, an architect role and shit like that. And I'm like, cool, if that's where you want to work, go for it. But that's not how we pay things here. So, mm. like, it, mm. it's like, again, it's if, mm. if you think the grass is always greener on the other side, it probably is for you, man. So don't waste both of our times. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've seen that as well. There's, there's a very inflated um, salary band system in the UK as well. You know, we we've interviewed junior analysts with no experience and we've thought we'll take a chance um we'll speak to some junior analysts get them in at a very junior level and train them up how we want them to work blah 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 blah. best intentions they get on the call and go i want forty thousand pounds a year and you go yeah but you're not bringing any experience with that and they're like well that's what i need to sustain my lifestyle and you're like well my your lifestyle is not my problem this is not a california divorce court (laughs) this is a job interview so there's an entitlement there that's that's sort of rampant when it comes to comes to that and i realize like the salary is totally different in the uk canada and america but yeah we get it's very strange it's very strange over Mm -hmm. here as well at the minute um well okay i want to turn to one audience question and then we'll take a short break um so steve asked after seeing the quite nasty reactions from some people to the post and its follow-up i'd like to ask if it has changed the way Eliza views LinkedIn? I suspect I know the answer, but there you have it. Oh, I mean, no, not really. No. No, it hasn't. <laughs> um, no, to be fair, I've not read the majority of them because there's thousands of comments. Um, there's some really nice ones in there. That, you know, about 60% of the people that commented were saying, I would love this job 
or I, I love the ethos I would want I would want to buy from you that's awesome the I've been to a couple of conferences since that post and the comments in person have been you know awesome really really nice really kind um I've had a few marriage proposals in my DMs as well, which is kind of <laughs> kind of gross when you look at the photos, but um, nice, you know, nice. Um, so no, it's not really. Nah. All right, good. I think if you get butt hurt over a few comments from people you don't know, you need to shake yourself, don't you really? Yeah. All right, we're going to take a short break and then we will be right back. <laughs> yeah. We are we are back for the brass tags portion of the show. Uh you have talked about five years of organic growth, and we've touched a little bit on that. Um tell us about the factors that you helped achieve that that you might pass on to another founder. You know, there there are some maybe unique elements to your personality and to your co-founders that we said is like an alchemy that can't be replicated. But if somebody were to ask you, like, how have you achieved such organic growth? What would you say to them? Well, we're in our fifth year. So it's been four and a bit years. So, I mean, it feels like, it feels like yesterday that we started the company, but it also feels like 20 years ago. <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. Advice that I would give, I would say that we've, um, we've concentrated on solving problems. And we've not let ourselves get skewed by looking at the competition. We don't care what our competition are doing. They care because they're, you know, they look at my LinkedIn profile every day, which is great. It's really flattering. But they've obviously <laughs> got a lot of time on their hands to do that. Um, so we don't we don't look at what the competition are doing. We keep our heads down and we're confident in the fact that we understand the problems and we are bringing the solution. We're not creating a problem to sell a solution. So that's kept us in good stead um and we've not gone we do all cyber security services and diluted ourselves we've gone mm -hmm. we've got the pocket seam brand we do sock we do seam and we do these different tiers of it and then we've gone we do offensive security and we do defense we've not said we do you know dark web monitoring threat intelligence as well blah, blah. there's loads of stuff we don't do and we've we've refined the things we do do so that we've become an authority in that space um so we are an authority in the purple team space you know uh, we are an authority in the same space as well so we're not an authority in everything else you know people don't think of pen testing and immediately think of us and that's fine people don't think of um you know i say and think of us we don't care we don't do it so we concentrate on what you do ignore put the blinkers on put the horse blinkers on and and don't think about the things that you don't do and what your competitors are doing brilliant so my kind of um, point on that is as a traditionally non-technical person, um, you clearly have gotten a grasp of at least the service level concepts and solution level concepts that you're now selling. Um, in your process of learning how to stand up, scale, run a business, and then in particular be a leader of people who are building these types of technologies, what was your self-development education process like because i mean you know like this stuff is, is it's hard to learn sometimes even in the most structured of programs when it's the only thing yep. you're trying to do this is like one item Trial by in, fire. <laughs> yeah and then the swiss army knife of like i'm gonna teach myself how to be a ceo in tech fucking adventure that you're going through 
So how did you, uh, like, what was the methodology in terms of putting time in? Is it all experiential? Did you actually spend time doing any kind of like theory work? Did you get one of those silly certifications? Like, what'd you do? What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't. Um, No. So, oh, I'm so sorry about the background noise. I'm in a village and literally one person needs to fart in the street and we all hear it. It's insane. (laughs) Um, so, okay. So I think the fact that I started off, um, technical in the sense that I went into digital forensics and then the jobs that I had were in incident response, um, meant that as we hired people, we got the right people because despite the fact that Stephen's a genius, I also couldn't have the wall pulled over my eyes, which kept me and Stephen very much in mm. in sync with each other for a long time. So it, it wasn't him saying, this is technically the right route to go down and me saying commercially, it's not the right route. We were both saying, right, okay, we're aligned on the technical and we're also aligned on the commercial route. So that that's a positive for us. I did go through a phase of being a bit sort of paranoid that I don't know what I'm doing. So, you know, I was reading all the Harvard Business Reviews articles and um, a load of books about business and, you know, business culture and all this. And honestly, it was all very nice to have. It was all quite pretentious. And so um, it was, you know, very much like I dropped all the books and dropped all the articles, dropped my subscription to various different business review things and thought, I'll just fucking learn by doing. That's how I've learned everything else. Um, So I'm very much in the frame of mind of do what I'm doing I'll cross that bridge when I get to it I'll do what I'm doing I'll cross that bridge when I get to that if I get to it so every time we we come up against something it is very much a learning curve and I think anyone that says that they know everything is talking shit um, if you've got a boss that thinks they're a great boss they're usually talking shit they're probably crap um, if you've got to say that you're good at something normally you're a bit shit at so um yeah, it's, it is very much trial by fire, and I'm still learning. I'm obviously a lot more confident than I was four years ago. Um, yeah, that's good. I, I mean, I, there isn't there isn't there isn't an answer. There, there isn't an alchemy for for um, what to do and how to do it, and, and the outpops of this result. It is what it is. Well, I think at the core, it's the curiosity and the humility, right? Like the, I think that's an ethos oh, I, that I'll go even bigger than that. It was you know, you're you're not afraid to fail. Like, I mean, everyone's like kind of afraid to fail on some level, but you're not, you're not so afraid to fail. It cripples you from trying. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the worst case scenario, if everything, if everything vanishes tomorrow, the worst case scenario is go and get a job. Mm-hmm. Like I'll start again. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, so we're, we're very much sort of just in tune of keeping on track with what we think is right and a lot of the time, what we think is right is abrasive to what is dictated to be right in industry, which is great. It means we're doing the right things because we started this because we didn't like the way the industry was working. Bingo. So we're happy about that. And uh, I saw you post that on Fridays, everyone shares you know, a win or there's you've started to develop some regularized practices. So we've talked a lot about culture. We've talked a lot about um, values. What are some other things that you have found, especially with a remote workforce, that are helping you cultivate the culture that you want to to scale as the company grows? Okay, cool. So um, good question. 
Yeah, so on Fridays, we have a team call where you have a drink if you want to have a drink. And we share our, you know, something positive, our win from that week. And it can be something really tiny. So, you know, some people in the team are keeping on top of things, keeping on top of emails. Um, They don't get anything finished. So they might go into their weekend feeling completely unsatisfied and I don't want that. Mm. So I want everyone to go into the weekend having, um, you know, Friday is a relaxed day. So we try not to have meetings on Fridays. Hallelujah. Um, we can help it. <laughs> internal meetings. Yeah. So like I, you know, I will and future salespeople will have external meetings. But um, we try to keep the meetings to a bare minimum on Fridays so people can catch up with all the shit they didn't get done through the week. And they can go into the weekend and own it. They can really spend time with their families. Um, unless on shift, obviously. But, you know, we, we try and make sure that their days off are their days off. Um, what else? Yeah. So, so when it comes to um, sharing a win from the week, if if it's something small and insignificant, we, you know, we'll all laugh about it as a team. It's just a very positive call. So, you know, for example, Becca, my PA, one week she said, uh, "I haven't killed myself," which is great. Um, <laughs> you know, it was obviously a joke, but um, you know, I, I'm still alive this week, kind of thing, um, and we all have a giggle about it. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just a bit of fun. Uh, something else we do is we have a um, a coffee moaning call mm. um, once a week. So rather than like a coffee morning, it's coffee moaning. So you get all your moans out. So if you've got anything to whinge about on any of the customers, you get it out of your system on that call. It's great. Rather than creating like a negative vibe by slacking each other about oh so and so at this customer said this or so and so that like. <laughs> this has pissed me off or the way that they've just spoke to me there is, you know, pissed me off. You just bring it all to that meeting and just let it all out. That's kind of nice. I dig that. Um, and yeah, so we try to encourage people to um, have meetings where they don't have to be at a computer and share it. If, if you don't have to share your screen, get out and go for a walk. So there's various different things like that. Um, about once a month, we have a um, takeaway night, family takeaway night. So rather than, um, you know, like, rather than people having a takeaway with the team we don't we'll say enjoy a takeaway they'll go and they'll order something from just eat or delivery or uber eats for their whole household and and, and expense it that's something that we do so we just by the way for context do you guys mostly work in an office or remotely no we're totally remote 100 percent remote yeah so it's we have to sort of be quite creative in the way that we bring the team together um so yeah we're very sort of family focused as well we want everyone to have an amazing life outside of work so that they bring that energy to work Love it, and we can benefit from that. So um, I think that a lot of employers don't see that they see, you know, Oh, we want a bubble gum machine and you know, we want to do like fruit right. Fridays where everyone has fruit and you think, fuck <laughs> off. Like if I wanted to you know, eat fruit, I'd be, it's vegan. funny. <laughs> it's funny. You mentioned that because we have, um, you know, um, like I, I can say it, this is not like talking poorly about them, but Shopify is based out of Ottawa, right? The AWS right. competitor. And uh, I've done, you know, a bunch of events there. Like they do a lot for the community. They contribute a lot. There's like nothing negative to say on that part. Um, Toby, their uh, founder, CEO, puts a ton of money into good causes. Good on them. What I found, though, is they would do all these perks that people would talk about. So Steam Whistle, this beer maker, They had a fridge full of steam whistle constantly available to everyone. They had catering for lunch every single day. Um, They would offer up actually bringing in professional cleaners to employees' houses to clean while they were at work. 
And everyone would look at these as amazing perks. But then you realize, like, guys, it's so that they can keep you at the office. It's so they never, you never have to leave. Like, that's, that's the whole point. Yeah. That, so, that's it. Is, it. is it working from home or living at work? Right. <laughs> but that's, and that's kind of, I think, the traditional model that was the thing, especially before COVID. But I think this was starting to begin even like before COVID hit. Um, they were trying to really get the benefit of the investment of the big fancy office spaces and the buildings that they leased or they yep. purchased. And then at the same mm-hmm. time, I think for some managers who are not used to the modern style of how to run a virtual team, it's easier for them to control people when they can physically see them. And I think in the modern industry, not just in cyber, but in just professional digitized industry in general, this is not the thing anymore. Like people don't want to go through half hour, hour, two hour commutes to get to work and back. They want the freedom to be like, oh, my company has treated us to dinner for the whole family tonight. I think that kind of thing, it's a super small thing to do up a gift certificate as a company and send it out to all your your employees. And then, you know, that, I, I really like it. I like the approach. This is speaking about someone in yourself and your team that I think have keyed into what the modern business needs to look like. There needs to be more organizations like this. And I can, speaking for my employer, it's the same thing. We're fully remote. We run a four-day work week. Obviously, some of us will still work on the off days, but Monday to Thursday are the official on-call days where you're taking meetings. Everything after that is voluntary. But I think that that's the way it has to be. Like People now value time and freedom more than anything else. Yeah, bingo. Yeah. Yeah, and family, like after... I think after, you know, the big bug that we're not we're not supposed to talk about anymore. Um, I'm talking about COVID, not the millennium. <laughs> if anyone's really old. Um, yeah, I think people, a lot of people went, oh, shit. Okay, uh, this is what's important. And, you know, I'm on my own with a dog and she's very important to me. But I've tried to really acknowledge that and say you know what if you if you need to pick your kids up from school at three o'clock in the afternoon or half three in the afternoon or whatever that's fine you know work half an hour later start half an hour earlier that kind of thing um and you know i do definitely think it's like security training and awareness right if you bring it to someone in a way that they can acknowledge helps them in their personal life they'll bring that to work and i think if you can if you can create a nice lifestyle for someone around their family and acknowledge that their family comes first, you can reap the benefits as an employer. And we've tried to do that. And so far it's set us in good stead. Well, that's all the time we have. Eliza, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your evening to join us. Uh, Thank you for being real. Um, you're really living by example and kind of setting the tone as to what, what a leader should look like. And, and, you know, what someone who is running a business that's actually appealing to a modern professional, you know, what that looks like as well. So the authenticity is great. The attitude's great. The wine's probably pretty good too. Uh, I hope to see you in person in the fall and, uh, you know, really speaking on behalf of George and I, um, I, I wish you the best of luck. I hope you find that uh, that future sales leader that you're looking for. Well, that does it for this week. Many thanks again to Eliza May Austin for joining us. And if you are headed to Black Hat this year, you can catch 
George A. and I with our friends from Hacker Valley Media, Danny Wolf of Audience First, all three Cyber Queens, Meryl Vernon, Amber DeVilbis, Erica Eakins, and Alyssa Knight. We are all coming together on August 9th at 5 p.m. at Redwall Studio for this mega panel. You can register at cyberpodworld.com. That's cyberpodworld.com. We really hope to see you. We want to take those selfies. We want to hand out that swag. If you can join us, please do so. Um, I'm so sorry that I've just like talked shit. That's that's literally what we wanted. That's what we do. That's like what we do. So you are right on point for the energy. Yeah, it's very, very on brand. Do you mind if I go and get a top up of wine? It's a very small house. No, you should do that. I'm going to get some water. Thank you. You should do that. (laughs) Fucking harsh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah.